Stalking is a tactic that abusers often use to control their victims. Being stalked can be terrifying, but there are steps you can take to protect yourself. Today, we're going to hear about some actual cases so that we can learn our own tactics. Tactics to keep ourselves safe from these creeps. I'm so glad you've joined me for another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. Today, we're going to dive into more captivating true crime stories, where physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways are waiting for us. If you're listening, I believe you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI. Not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact. This is Season 4, Episode 41. Our book this week is Think Like a Stalker and Stop Them by my friend and fellow private investigator, Michael Kenny. He wrote this book to share what he's learned from years of working with celebrity and non-celebrity stalking victims. He's going to give us some tools and direction to help ourselves or someone else end the nightmare. Like the song says, breaking up is hard to do. Have you ever had a soon-to-be ex that just couldn't or wouldn't accept the fact that you didn't want anything more to do with them? That happened to a woman that I'm going to call Everly. She had just moved to a new town and was lonely, so she decided to use a dating app to meet some people, like a lot of people do. Soon, she met a man who seemed to be every girl's dream. He was polite, generous, treated her like a queen, and even had a great car. When Everly made the relationship Instagram official, an ex-boyfriend who had really been the love of her life reached out to her. Are you thinking that he's the stalker? Nope. They actually reconnected, and it was Mr. Carr who lost it. He called Everly's boss and claimed that she had lied about her education on her resume and was a heavy drug user. He called Everly's father and told him that Everly had been arrested for using drugs. Mr. Carr approached Everly while she was out with friends, begging her to get back together. She told him no. After that, she began to see him almost everywhere she went. He even tried to get Everly's father fired, and he called the school where Everly's mother worked. Everly called the police, but they actually told her that since he hadn't hurt her, they were pretty sure he'd just go away sooner or later. Right. That's always how it works out. But then, enter my friend, Mike Kenny. He soon discovered that this wasn't the first time Mr. Carr had harassed an ex-girlfriend. Mike convinced Everly to get a restraining order, and then he delivered a copy of that order to Mr. Carr. Since Mike had done a detailed background check on the man, he was able to tell him everything he had found out. His employer, information about his family, where he lived, and that was the last Everly ever heard from Mr. Carr. Seems like he wanted to be the hunter, not the hunted, as Mike says in his book. Now, please keep in mind, Mike used his many years of experience and his knowledge of Mr. Carr's circumstances to decide on the best way to approach him. That's why it is smart, if you possibly can, to hire someone like Mike if you're dealing with a stalker. I'm going to share one more story from the book before we just talk directly with Mike. A woman going through a rough divorce and a custody battle came to Mike for help. She had just had a birthday and received a package in the mail from a town where her uncle lived. There was a card with her uncle's name scribbled on it, and inside the package was a new phone cube charger, a power cord, 
a car charger, and a USB drive shaped like her favorite cartoon character. Now that's a really thoughtful gift, if it had actually been from her uncle. A couple of months later, she was served with papers related to her divorce. They stated she was not allowed to have her boyfriend stay overnight at her house if the children were there. It also stated that she was planning to move out of state and had drunk too much wine one night when her children were with her. She wondered how in the world her ex knew any of this. Remember that sweet birthday present from her uncle? You guessed it. It was really from her ex. And the, quote, gifts were all spyware. My cat are set up hidden cameras in her house, and they captured video of the ex replacing her phone charger with an identical one when he came to pick up their kids. That charger was recording audio and video. The USB drive transmitted her emails, web browsing history, and more. And the lesson we can learn from this, always beware of accepting any kind of gifts that are electronic, even if they seem to come from a trusted source. Now I want you to hear more great information, stories, and safety tips directly from Mike himself. Hey, Mike, I am so glad you joined us today. Thank you. I know you're going to give us all kinds of great information. Lori, it's such a pleasure. And this is the second time I've come on your podcast. And we always have a good time. Always. We do. We do. And your book is so amazing. I read it as soon as I got it. But I've got to say that title, Asking Us to Think Like a Stalker, is a little bit creepy. But I understand why it's important. Tell us all why you use that. So a lot of times people will call and they'll say, I have a shed up in the backyard and I am convinced somebody is up there at night. And I'm like, well, do you have a light up there? And they'll say no. And I go, okay, well, why don't we put a light in a ring camera? Because the ring camera is much better than people give it credit for on the range that it has. And so we've done several cases where we've just thought, you know, where would be the most logical place that somebody would watch you from? And then we take that out of the equation with lights and cameras. And so that's kind of where the, where the title came from. And, and the book arose from so many people asking me for help that either couldn't hire us or we didn't have the time to do. And I said, you know, why don't I just write a book that would be conversational, like sitting with me, I'll give examples, and then hopefully they can walk that path with me and learn exactly what I do. Well, the examples are awesome because they do give such practical advice for anybody that's being stalked or knows somebody that is being stalked, or even you just maybe something's a little off and you're not even sure what it is. What have you found to be maybe the biggest misconception about stalking? Um, I think that one of the things that bothers me the most is that people don't tell somebody they're being stalked. So a lot of times, and, and like when we read the statistics, they're always much lower than I think because we get approached all the time with somebody and I go, you know, have you got a restraining order? Have you filed a police report? And they say, no, no, I haven't told anybody. If you tell somebody at your church, at your work, everywhere, then they're unlikely to tell somebody that's nice that walks in the door like, hey, I'm trying to catch it with my old friend. Can you tell me where they're working, their new cell number and those things? So if you can head those off and you can do that by telling somebody. I have a five item thing that I tell people over and over and over, which I can get to a little bit later, but that includes that. But I find it to be very important and kind of cover stalking in general. I love the story that you tell about what you really fear the most. It was real informative to me. You hinted a little bit at somebody coming in and giving a story about why they're looking for a certain person. So tell us about the guy who wanted you to help him find his uh, long lost sister. My biggest fear in our 
you and I, our, our general industry, we don't want to help somebody get to somebody that's gone to the trouble of hiding. Maybe they're in the battered women's shelter or they've gone to Great Lakes. They've moved out of state and then they hire one of us and they give us a story like that. It's an ex-business partner. It's an ex, it's my sister, an ex-friend. And then we locate them and it all starts the terror all over again for somebody. That's one of my biggest fears, that and then educating somebody on how to be a better stalker. Because stalkers are second to serial killers and that they're usually very intelligent. I mean, they plan this out. They know, you know, coordinated when and where somebody's going to be. Yeah, these aren't crimes of opportunity. These are well thought out campaigns of Correct. terror. Other than you get that that bad feeling when someone asks you about something, because I've, I've had somebody try to uh, engage my services as well, and it just didn't seem right. And the more I asked, the more the story fell apart. How do you vet for that to make sure that you're not accidentally helping someone? Honestly, I kind of become a jerk. To some, you know me very well, but I, I'll start asking very specific questions that you should know if that's your old friend. And I'll say something like, well, let me ask you a few questions. You know, did they go to college at where? And I start asking, what's their sister's name? And it's the way they react. You know, we know body language when someone's lying. A lot of times they'll fall apart into that third and fourth question. Well, you just said you met them here and you said they were your friend from here and, and it starts falling apart. And if I get any indication, I shut it down. But my other fear is they just go to somebody else that maybe isn't as diligent as you and I that will perform a skip trace and say they live, you know, in Baton Rouge and at this address. So. All right. Tell us all what a skip, skip trace is. is just locating somebody. And in the case of a stalker, there's two kinds of stalkers too. I mean, there's many more than two, but you have somebody that knows who's stalking them, an ex lover, an ex boyfriend, girlfriend, neighbor, whatever the case. And then you have people, which we deal with a lot on the celebrity side that they have no idea who's stalking them. They're getting something, you know, they get roses one day and a dead pigeon the next, and it's up to us to figure out what that means and who it is. Finding somebody that doesn't want to be found because they've gone to great lengths to get out of their situation, they've moved cross-country, and then one of us to just locate them is, is a horrific thought for either of us. And I think a lot of people don't understand the severity of what could happen in stalking situations. We write it off as, you know... Well, they're just having a hard time getting over the breakup or, you know, they just really love that person. The stalker's hurting. It's an emotional reaction that they feel they're not loved or that somebody doesn't want to give them the time anymore. And part of the problem with our society, other than social media and everybody seeing everything you do, is that we're taught no means not right now. You know, you look at like the movie, The Notebook, you know, you keep pursuing and these people will say, it took me 40 times to ask her out and she finally went out. Well, that's not right. That's not okay. We're taught through movies, books, songs that you just keep pursuing. And that's a big problem. And that brings up a point that I really did want to talk about today. January is Stalking Awareness Month. But I wanted to have you on during October, during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Because a lot of this, like you said, it's an X. It's someone that you no longer want to have a relationship with, and they just will not accept that. So how do we deal with people like that? Well, if we if we put it in a subset that it's somebody you dated, not married, ex-wife, ex-husband, children involved, but just somebody you dated. If I were to ask you, when you were raised, I'm sure your mom and dad said, be nice when you break up, let them down easy. But the reality is, if you want to head off future problems, you have to come down on them like a sledgehammer. And you have to say things like, I will never be attracted to you again. There's no future here. They need to get the message clearly that you're done. 
And a lot of times they'll go away. And I'm, that's outside of some type of mental issue. But a lot of times they, they're holding on to a thread that will get back together. You'll realize what we had and come back around, which is not the case. And we framed most of this as in a man stalking a woman. But you've worked cases where it's the exact opposite. Absolutely. And that's on the rise all the time. Now, and back into the world of celebrity, if we have a female actor or artist, the bigger they are, the more stalkers, the more people that see a picture and go, we're in love, we're soulmates, and I have to pursue them. Uh, you know, Drew Barrymore just had the guy stand up in an interview recently. And, you know, so he got, he beat all security. He was in the same room with her. And luckily he wasn't violent, but he was arrested and then he was let go. So in many ways, the police and the courts aren't really equipped for the stalkers because if you're a, uh, in the case of a woman being stalked by a man, if the man is a professional and looks decent and presents well, often they'll just write it off and let him go. And there's no, nothing happens. So that's something, California has the best stalking laws, but that's something that needs to be addressed. That's a problem. And you're right. As women, we often don't stand up for ourselves the way we should. And when we try to, we're often dismissed as the hysterical female who's imagining things. So uh, don't give up. If, if you're trying to get help and you haven't yet, don't give up because there are awesome PIs like Mike that, that really care about people. And I think that's that's probably my favorite thing about you is, you know, you're in it because you want to help people. And I know that we need to leave some of this to the professionals when things get a little too intense. But if I'm just average regular person and I'm I'm either being stalked or I've got a friend or a loved one that's being stalked, what can I possibly do to help? I don't want to do a selfish push for the book, but it was written in the sense that you're sitting with me and you're learning from the perspective of if you have those questions. And I try to address a lot of those questions. The number one thing, and I recommend this to everybody, and this is, if you take anything away from this, take these five things. Number one, you have to stop all communication. And I mean all, social media, email, any kind of calls, texts. And the example I use is if someone calls you 55 times and you ignore them and you answer on the 56th, they know it takes 56 times to reach you. So you have to just go dead in the water. I mean, absolute no communication. Secondly, you have to become your own detective in many ways because you're going to get dismissed so very often when you go in the police department. Oh, you know, it's just it's a couple broke up and she's crazy. If it's a male and female, sometimes the, the woman is just, you know, dismissed. But you need to document everything every day, every call, every single thing. So you go in and you have to sit it all out in front of them and say, look, here's the harassment. I'm, I'm terrified to leave my house. I'm terrified to go to work, my gym, church. Everywhere I go, this person is there. And you have to document all that so that now they look and they go, oh, well, this isn't just a couple that broke up and the lady's crazy. This is actually a pattern. And if, for instance, you go to the gym every morning at 6 and your stalker's there, then the police can know to be there at 545 and address it head on. The next thing is I always say, don't post in real time on social media. And this comes back to think like a stalker and stop them. If you post every day, I'm at Starbucks near Vanderbilt University near Music Row. And they can very quickly establish a pattern that makes it very easy for them to acquire you. So don't post in real time. If you went on vacation last year, throw a post out today that says, love in the beach, and just confuse them. Don't make it easy. Don't give them a path to find you easily. So as I said earlier, you need to tell people, and this would be the fourth thing, you need to tell people I'm being stalked. If you know who it is, this is who it is. 
and you need to let everybody kind of the village know, do not give out any information. Because I've watched people spend a lot of time and money to change phone numbers and, and just uproot their lives only to have somebody that didn't know they were being stalked say, oh, no, they're, you know, they're working over at this place now. And it all starts over. And the terror starts over. I use that word a lot. And the last thing, and I say it in the book, the police don't wear paper bulletproof vests. The reason I say that is the restraining order is not the finish line. It is a tool. And there are many dead victims with the restraining order in their pocket. And so you have to be diligent throughout the whole process, but know that that's just another tool. That is not the finish line. And that's a great point. I know there have been women who have been afraid to get that restraining order because they're afraid to enrage the person. But at the same time, it goes back to that documentation. If you're trying to get help, they're going to ask, have you done this? Have you done that? And so it is, it is part of the process for better or for worse. And you mentioned technology, being online and all that. How have the changes in technology impacted how stalkers do what they do? Well, if you go to websites like Timu and Wish, you can buy all kinds of blockers, which are illegal here, you know, blocking Wi-Fi, cell phones, and many, many hidden cameras that you wouldn't, you know, a lot of people, you and I would know, but they wouldn't fathom that a phone charger has a camera in it or virtually anything now. And then on the dark web, and these folks share with each other where to get this. Our information to buy your social security number, birth date, all those things, it used to be in the hundreds of dollars. Now it's 25 cents on the dark web. So for 25 cents, they can get everything they don't have about you if they know where to go. And I'm not going to educate them here. So, But as you know, the dark web is an index like Google, so they have to know where to go. I do a lot of things. and I, In the book, I give some technology tips on how to stop it, how to go to your cell phone carrier and have them reset your phone, not just back it up because that stalkerware can jump right over with your backup and come right back to your phone. But the technology has gotten easier. Air tags are a big problem right now. You know, they throw them in the car. It's so easy. And even though it says you're being tracked by an air tag, a lot of times they don't care. And the people disregard it. I've had many people say, you know, I got that alert on my iPhone, but I just ignored it. I didn't know what that meant. And then there's just the old-fashioned GPSs with a cell phone, SIM card, or and there's many more now that are coming out all the time. So we try to stay on top of and a little ahead of the technology. If I read an article that says, you know, there's some new trick to, to track a car, then I'm trying to get information on it ahead of time to help, you know, head it off. And I don't think we can ignore the old-fashioned way of gathering information, like you said, just asking people that know you. And again, if you're stalking and, you know, a nice-looking person and they walk in and ask, they'll give it to them. The, the problem back to technology is there's so much stalkerware out there that can track everything on your phone. You just get a text, you know, and one of the ones I saw recently was that you have a package at UPS. Click here to put it in, and it was stalkerware. So they're using all these tactics on stuff that you might normally get. And once you click the link, you know, you don't know that it's in there and it's tracking literally everything you do. And that's how they'll follow you. They know you have a text or an email that you're having lunch with your friend tomorrow. That's how you'll find them, especially when you've had your car swept, you've had your home swept of all bugs and cameras, and they still show up. Likely they're mirroring your phone. I think another thing that really hinders those of us that wouldn't do such things is our belief that, well, if I wouldn't do that, nobody else would do that to me. Trust me, they would, they do. And if somebody's willing to do these things to you, they're willing to lie about it. Absolutely. They're willing to lie to police about it. They're willing to lie across the board because this, again, this is an emotional, they're the victim. The stalker is the victim. 
you know, you wouldn't have me anymore and I'm going to cause you pain because you caused me pain. But there's so many lanes of the stalker these days, whether it's just on social media or it's phone calls every day or you're receiving stuff in the mail. You know, one of the things I talk about and I, I beat over the head, I say that nicely with some of our clients is a celebrity will have five houses. That stalker knows what every one of your kitchens look like. So during COVID, when somebody would post like, you know, try this, they can't see me right now, but I'm holding up a cup. If I'm doing product placement, that stalker immediately knows that you're in Malibu. You're at the house in Malibu. And depending on how close they are, they can get there pretty fast and sit down the street and follow you to Starbucks and the gym and all those things after. So you can't, you can't make it easy. Once again, you, you cannot make it easy. One thing I saw you repeat in the book over and over that I thought was amazing is how you really dug into the backgrounds of the stalkers. And that gave you an edge when it came time to confront them. In the old days, we would approach you. Okay, so let's pretend that there's a gal and she's really having a hard time. And we would show up and say, hey, are you John Smith? Yes, John. And you tell them everything about themselves. Do you still live here? Is your mom named this? Do you work here? Is this your social? Is this your birthday? And if they were rational, that would hit them like a lightning bolt and they'd go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize my behavior. But nowadays, it's not going that way as much. So what I started doing is once we would find the stalker, we'd kind of befriend them a little bit. And we, I shouldn't say a little bit because there's a few we really befriended and kind of get where their brain was on it. Oh, you know, she's got a new boyfriend, but, you know, she'll come around because we walked down the beach one day and somebody threw me a Frisbee and we both laughed and that was our moment. You know, I have heard crazy things. But we really tried to get in their head and do research and just like the experience of the past of how they react. And and it changes. Again, social media has really made it a lot bigger problem because before, as a stalker, you had to call to get your fix. You had to hear their voice on voicemail. Now, every day, every hour, you can get on one of their social media accounts and see them and get that fix that you needed. And if they block you, hey, no problem. Start another account, you know. I had a client that blocked more than 50 fake accounts because they constantly were getting in. Well, let's let's do something that I think will be really helpful here. Let's pretend that I am calling you to hire you. I have someone at my workplace and they, for whatever reason, just really thought we were going to be best of friends. They're starting to really creep me out. What should I do? The first thing we would do is background check the person you're having an issue with. Do they have domestic violence, assault, those things in their background? Because that'll depend how you talk to them. If they don't, then maybe just talking with them might make them go away. Hey, listen, you're really, it's a problem. I'm going to go to human resources. And then a lot of times if it keeps progressing, it would be best to just get out of the situation. If they're not leaving, then you should leave because you need to get off their radar. But normally in a case like that, if they're a normal professional, they'll go, I'm very sorry, I didn't realize you know, that you felt that way, and they'll back off. But often by the time they get to us, it's not, it's gone much, much further than that. You mentioned background checks, which are one of my favorite things in the world. I wrote a book called In God We Trust, Everybody Else Gets a Background yes. Check, <laughs> because we think we know people and we don't, or we think that we're really good judges of people's character. But people hide their true character when it suits them. Give us some scenarios where we probably should be running background checks and maybe we're not. Well, I mean, one of the things we do frequently is somebody will want to be business partners and they'll say, you know, I'm going to give this person 
if it's a celebrity, a lot of times they come to them and they say, we're going to start a restaurant chain together and you put up 5 million and we'll put up 5 million, but they don't have 5 million. <laughs> so they're just trying to get your 5 million. And so as we background, I just did one where some people were going in business together and the person had left letters off their name, which we're going to catch that people, you know, it's impossible to be invisible anymore. If you have somebody as diligent as Lori and I, because we're going to dig. And in this case, if you ran them the way present, they were presented, there's nothing. I mean, but I mean like nothing. No one has nothing. And as we dug in, once we corrected the name, there was a lot. And so the person walked away from the deal. It's amazing. I actually had somebody tell me one time, go ahead, run a check. You won't find anything. And yet I did. He had to have known that was there. So I don't know if he was just bluffing, thinking if he told me that Absolutely I would check. Was. Or a lot of times he... when I get involved and they'll say, we want you to background check. And we feel bad about it because the person gave us their resume and they told us all these giant deals they did and all this. And I'm like, okay, well, they might be just spoofing you up front so that you don't take the time to look. And that's exactly the case in this one with the missing letters because they had given so much information about what a success they were and how many deals they had done that I think they just thought they would never look. And then, of course, when they did, it fell apart quick because they had a lot of lawsuits and bankruptcies in their past, bad business deals. I had another person who simply, like you were saying, slightly shifted the spelling of your name because that, you know, if I accidentally misspell something, I'm not committing fraud. So how important is it if you're doing business deals, if you've got somebody stalking you, if you have a child who's dating someone that you're just really sketched out about? You know, we see Spokio, um, been verified. We see all the Intellius, all of those things online. Is it good enough just to, to run their name through that? I don't that? think so. So many of them scrape their information, which is the term, meaning where they compile their information from. Several use just basic information and you'll pay for a report. And that's part of the problem. You know, you pay, say, $29, $35 and you get a report and you go, oh, I knew all this. You know, I know they live at this address. I know their wife's this. But what we have access to, as you know, is a little different. And because we have to be licensed and vetted. So those things, we, we get a lot more information than those do. But also, too, a lot of times interviewing goes a long way. One of my favorite tactics has always been when you go in an interview and you're background checking and you're, you know, getting ready to clear somebody and you say, okay, I'm going to do the most extensive background check you've ever had. Is there anything you want to tell me before I do that? Before, you know, we dig in and they'll almost always tell you something that you would have never found because let's say, oh, well, you know, at 16, you know, I, I was stopped by the police and had a trunk full of drugs or something and, you know, it was expunged, but we would not have seen that. The other thing, going back to what you just said, not all jurisdictions report still. Everyone assumes there's an instant nationwide background check when there's not. So many jurisdictions are not online or, or take like Rutherford County where we are near Nashville. You have to go directly to them to get the information. They don't show up in our, our other stuff. So a lot of times we'll pick a county and then we'll do all the surrounding counties. But dig, dig, dig. Oh, definitely. And that brings up another point, you know, crime statistics are skewed because, you know, we read all this stuff that the FBI puts out and whatever, but not everybody reports to them either. Many of these statistics in some, some ways I think are just created, you know, like the stalking statistics. So many times when I say, have you reported this? No, no, no. My friend told me to call you, you know, you helped with this. And, you know, one of the reasons the book is nine ninety five is I wanted everybody that had any kind of issue to be able to afford it easily one of the things we talked about too, the bind of the book doesn't say the title. 
And I did that because of domestic violence and stuff. I, if somebody was reading it and the problem person walked in, they could put it on a shelf and it wouldn't even stand out. It certainly wouldn't say stalker or anything like that. That was all by design to protect somebody. We're smarter than we look sometimes. I hope so. I always say I played nice and dumb very, very well. But being nice and dumb can help. I learned that from you. And I, I really try to do that, too. I've had people give me more information than I asked for. Absolutely. <laughs> when I'm training people, I say, when you're interviewing, don't cut, not you, but I mean, when you're interviewing somebody like a, <laughs> an accident or something, you let them talk. You know, like a lot of times I'll hear an investigator interrupt them to get to their next question. And so many times I've just let them talk it all out. They don't like the sound of silence. And at the end, they'll go, you know, my wife was in the car and no one knew the wife was in the car as a witness. And I'm like, well, where was your wife in the police report? Oh, her sister was behind us and she jumped out and got in the car and left. And I'm like, okay, so let them talk. Right. And sometimes if we do like a CEO background check, we'll, you know, we, it's, it's very expensive, but we go, we interview family, sometimes friends, past business acquaintances. And a lot of times we'll let them talk. And it's amazing. They're like, yeah, I would, he doesn't want anybody to know this, or she doesn't want anybody to know this, but they have five DUIs and they change their name and whatever. There's times we find things out and go down another road that we never would have gone down without that interview. Well, you are one of the most thorough investigators I've ever known. And if I had an issue with stalking, you'd be the first person I call. I appreciate sure. it. So if anybody else out there needs to get a hold of you, well, first buy the book. I've put a link in the show notes so you can buy the book. I've read it. It's really incredible. It is an easy conversational read. And it's just packed with really practical advice. But if somebody really wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do that? So X, formerly Twitter, Michael Kenny PI, and I put a form up that I designed back to the document, 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 everything on your stalker case is to get you started. So you can go there and grab it and just get in the habit of they called at this time. This was said, if you're in a one party state, record all your phone calls, meaning we can explain that a two party state, both people have to be aware it's being recorded. A one party state, one person has to be aware it's recorded. And document, 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 but that form is there. And then you can direct message me on Twitter or X and I'll get back to you as quickly as I can. And a lot of times just bouncing it off somebody, you know, what should I do in this scenario? You know, and another tactic, by the way, I don't want to leave this off the table is switching cars with a friend can go a long way and varying your routes when you're driving from somewhere. If somebody's waiting for you, say at the gym and they're looking for your Honda Accord or your Toyota RAV4, and it's not there, they may leave. You could have slipped into the other entrance in your friend's car just that you swap for a week. So just keep keep changing the rules on them. The idea, and, and sometimes this is an unfortunate end, but you know, you get their focus to go somewhere else. And the reason I say it's unfortunate is sometimes that focus goes to somebody else. But you know, it's about being safe, being diligent, and being aware. And don't drive the same way home from work every night. Vary your routes, vary your schedule. Don't post in real time and be safe and stay with a friend sometimes, you know, let them go sit out there for three days and you're never home and waste their time. Michael, I appreciate so much all this wonderful information that you gave us. And again, if you need help, reach out to me, reach out to Michael. I'll have his link to his, his ex account. It's so weird to say, I can't get used to it. But we'll make sure that uh, we can connect you with, with the help that you need. 
Thanks a lot. There's a lot of resources to help you. And one last thing, Lori, is the last surveillance we worked together. I always love sharing this because people, they don't know that we actually all really work together and that this is a pretty tight knit group of people that really care about each other and look out for each other. And the last one we worked was a tricky one. The person we were following, we had to, you know, pair up and leapfrog them from location to location. So great job on your part, because I could not have done it without you. We were in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and the traffic was horrific. And especially when they entered that Starbucks on the corner (laughs) that, you know, you were the lifesaver on that one. So, and, you know, you're not going to suspect a couple people instead of, you know, the same vehicle behind you. So that was great. Always a pleasure working with you. And I love your podcast. Keep up the great work. Oh, thank you so much. I always love working with you and appreciate what a great mentor you've been. Thank you. So thank you Have so much. Have a great much. day. We'll talk to you soon. You too. Bye-bye. For our Bible passage this week, I chose Lamentations chapter 3, verses 52 through 57. Those who were my enemies, for no reason at all, hunted me down as if I were a bird. They tried to end my life by throwing me into a deep pit. They threw stones down at me. The water rose and covered my head. I thought I was going to die. Lord, I called out to you. I called out from the bottom of the pit. I prayed, please don't close your ears to my cry for help. And you heard my appeal. You came near when I called out to you. You said, do not be afraid. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah is thought to be the author of Lamentations, and he was writing about the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon, and he shared his deep despair over the evil in the world that comes when people reject God. Lamenting in the biblical sense is more than just expressing sorrow. It's also a way to process that sorrow and our confusion over our circumstances. But this chapter of Lamentations is also full of hope. Even when we're being pursued and hunted down, when we call out to God, He will remind us that we don't need to be afraid. And I hope that's something that this episode has also done. If you're being stalked, please know that there is hope. There are people like Mike Kenny who are providing resources to give you comfort and practical assistance. I've put links in the show notes to Mike's book, how you can contact him, and other resources for victims of stalking. I hope that not only will you check them out, you'll share them. It's a tough topic, but it's also more widespread than we want to believe, so it's one we need to talk about more. I truly believe that when we have these hard conversations, it leads to healthy outcomes. But I want to know what you think. Send me an email at lori, L-O-R-I, at theunlovelytruth.com, or message me on social media. I love it when people are willing to have those hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.